Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. So today, um, we're going to be reading out of the book of Mark. <laughs> Just kidding. We're still in Genesis. Um, but actually, because um, I know some people try to read ahead and see what I'm going to do, but I'm going back in time to Genesis 26. Um, not because I had any ideas for it, but just to fool people. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, so let's go to Genesis 26. We kind of skipped over it because I wanted to continue with the story of Jacob because <clears throat> um, it kind of all flowed together. And then there's this weird thing in the middle that goes back to Isaac. And so we're going to go back to Isaac. We're going to leave Jacob. Jacob has left his home. It's on, he's on his way to Laban. He encountered God at Bethel. And now, just to confuse things, we're going to jump back to Isaac in Genesis 26, 1. And you might see, if you have headings, that there is a familiar name there, Abimelech. And this is an encounter with Isaac and Abimelech. Now, there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed." Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So here we see Isaac experiencing something similar to what his father, Abraham, had experienced. And similar to what future generations will experience, famine happens quite often. And this is no different. Isaac is faced with the same choices that his father faced. What do I do? What do I do? in the face of famine. Now, while Abraham, Abraham kind of had the benefit of his party, the people who were dependent on him, it kind of grew over time. So he's able to adjust as the party gets bigger and the tribe gets bigger. He's able to adjust how to lead a small group and then a big group, right? But Isaac started with a very large group. So all of a sudden, he's got a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. He has a lot of people's lives who are accounting on him. And I find over and over, this happens with business leaders, it happens with Christian leaders. You see like pastors grow a church up, right? They grow a body up and it's like large and it's healthy. And then years later, they turn it over to their sons and things just don't, they can't quite step into the shoes of their fathers because the shoes are just are so large. Sometimes we find they don't quite have the faith that their fathers had, right? Sometimes we see businesses where like the, the person who started it has all these like ideals and, and they're like, this is who we're going to be. And then it's passed over to a board after they die. And then it's just not the same company, right? And, and things change. People can't step into the shoes that were before them. And honestly, in ministry, I, we see this often. I think, I think ministers, I think something that I've seen that I think is one of the failures of the generations that came before is their thing was like, man, ministry at all costs, even the cost of my family. And we see so often that, that the children of ministers, I mean, they have a reputation. They're called PKs. And I think that they are, I mean, it's short for pastor's kids, but, but it comes with a reputation. 
And it's because I think in, in times past, pastors weren't at home to raise up their children because they were so focused on the ministry. But it says in the Bible, when you're considering elders, to be in consideration to be an elder of the church, it says they must have their house in order. Which means it has to be clean. No, it means they have to have their house in order. Their family has to be in order. And so I don't, I think that that was a mistake. I think that people in ministry need to have their houses in order. Um, and, we, and we have to expect mistakes in all leaders, but, but it does matter who you surround yourself with. And Isaac has been surrounded. He'd been raised up in a community that's seen the wonders of God. This is a testament to not only Abraham, but the entire tribe. Because Isaac is a man of God. He takes over and he's a man of God because of what he's seen in Abraham and the people around him. Okay? Like, um, just for example, it touched, it touched my heart. I can't believe I almost said that. It touched my heart the other day. Um, the other day, Joey um, took my son fishing. And he always takes one fishing. Um, and they caught their first fish this time. Um, but as Flynn was telling me the story, he was like, the story was like, we were fishing, we weren't catching any, anything. So we stopped and we prayed, and then we caught a fish. And I'm like, look, I'm like, you know, like, and, and Joey's standing there, and I'm like, thank you. I love that that was part of the story. I love that that was part of the story. I love that it was thought of. I love that part of his story of the first time I caught a fish was that I wasn't doing anything, and I prayed, and then it happened. And it just hit me, man, it's important who surrounds your children, the community that we have and what they're saying, what they're doing. So this is a testament. We can tell through Isaac that Abraham took the time to develop him into a man of God. Isaac has the faith of his father. He takes over a large clan and he steps in mightily. He's going to perform better than Abraham in this trial. He will perform better, which is what we all want. He will make mistakes just like Abraham, but he's also going to stand firm. Last time we encountered a famine, if you remember, Abraham chose to leave the promised land and go to Egypt for safety. Egypt would be a safe place because there's a pharaoh there. There's a king there. If you want to survive a famine, do you know where there will be food? By the king. Because that's the one person that is not going to go hungry. The king. So all the storehouses are going to be as close to the king as possible. And so that's where, obviously, that's where Abraham goes. And we can tell that Isaac is considering a similar move because God tells him not to. It doesn't ever say Isaac wanted to or thought to, but it does say God told him not to. And God only has to say no when you're really set on it, when it's your yes. When you're like, man, this is it, this is yes. That's when God comes and says, no, it's not. I know it seems like the answer, I know that seems easy. It seems wise, but trust me, I have something better. And then God repeats the blessings he gave to Abraham. He repeats them to Isaac to remind him of the promise, to remind him that he's with him, to remind him it's by his hand. And guys, as strong as our relationship is with God, sometimes we still need reminders. Still need reminders. That's why I love singing um, Isaiah song. It's just because it's like God speaking and it's just like, and even though I know it and I study the Bible all the time, I'm like, that's right, that's right. You are God. You are God. And God reminds Isaac that he is God and that he's, that he's going to bless him. But I want to point out, he says, because 
Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and laws, because Abraham did. How many of us want the blessings of God to extend to our children because of our obedience? I want that for me. God says, you will be blessed. To Isaac, he says, you will be blessed. And the whole earth will be blessed because, because Abraham obeyed. The whole earth will be blessed and you will be blessed because your father obeyed my voice and kept my laws and commandments. What is strange about this statement, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, is that we don't yet have a list of God's laws. We don't yet have God's commandments and statutes. They come in Deuteronomy. But if we take a look at it, we'll see that Abraham's decisions in Genesis coincide, they follow very closely to the laws laid down later in Deuteronomy. And as an example of this, if you want to look it up, just test me. You can look up Genesis 14 and how Abraham fights the other kings, his behavior during that battle. He follows the stipulations in, written out in Deuteronomy 20. Genesis 14, Deuteronomy 20, they match up. How did he do this? Without having the list of laws. Because the laws were written on his heart because he had, he had relationship with God. All he needed to do was obey the voice of the Lord and God would lead him into righteousness, into a right way of living. We have the word of the Lord here, but we can also have leadings from the spirit. God's not going to say something to you that is that contradicts the Bible, okay? Because I've seen this. I've seen it in pastors. I've seen it in churches. They're like, God's doing something new. God's doing something new. And I say blasphemy and we burn them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but the more we read the word of the Lord, the more we hear the voice of the Lord through his word, the more we talk to God, the more we know him. And the spirit brings to remembrance what God has said. And that can speak into our situations. But then as we know God more, and I know if you've walked with God a long time, you've experienced this, you can say things that God is leading you to say in a particular situation, in a particular conversation. God's, God's like, say this. And, and our sense of his presence gets more finely attuned. And, and Isaac, he, Abraham, had a really finely attuned sense of God's presence. And, and Isaac is developing a, a sense of the Lord's presence. And because Abraham had such a sense of the Lord's presence, he, was, he could be obedient to God. He just had to obey his voice. And because he was obedient, blessings flowed. And blessings continued down the line, as we see here. But just because Isaac stays in Egypt and God says, you obeyed me, I'm going to bless you, it doesn't mean things are going to be easy. I'm not going to have any problems. Because we see him fall into a similar situation, just as his father did. And we continue in Genesis 26, verse 6. It says, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, what do you think he said? She's my sister because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on Rebekah because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. In some versions, it says it saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah. And it's like, do people not laugh with their sisters? It's like, I saw you smiling with your sister. Are you guys together? We're like, whoa, Bimlech, you really jumped there. Zero to 100. 
So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and she would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Before we get too far into this, um, I have to point out that this is not the same Abimelech because Abraham has the same issue with Abimelech. This is not the same Abimelech. Abraham made a pact of peace with Abimelech. This is not the same. And, and Abraham's situation where he called his wife a sister and she was taken, that was within Abimelech. This is not the same Abimelech. Because Abimelech means my father the king. So it could be like a title, like a kingly title, or it could be like, uh, like King Henry I, King Henry II, King Henry III. Great name, Henry. You want to pass it on over and over again? It's like that. Um, so this is probably his son or his grandson. But there's evidence through this passage that Abimelech does have some knowledge of Isaac and the God that he serves. So that's why it's likely this is Abimelech, the original Abimelech's son or grandson. And just as we see Isaac following his father's footsteps in faith, he also follows in his footsteps in mistakes. Out of fear, even though God told him to stay, he told him to go there. Out of lack of trust in God, he says that his wife is his sister. But this time, but this time, it doesn't get as far as it did last time. She wasn't taken um, due to the lie. This time, Abimelech discovers for himself that they are married. He sees them interacting outside the window. And even in this, this is not a coincidence. This is God's protection. This is God's protection. God has him there at that time. God has Isaac tell her that funny joke that made her laugh and give it all away by their smiling. But just as we see Isaac doing the same thing his father did, we see Abimelech doing the same as his, as his father. If you remember, when the last Abimelech took Sarah, God appeared to him and told him, do you remember his first words when he said, you're as good as dead? Because you, you've taken another man's wife. You are as good as dead. And Abimelech's reaction here to what might have been reveals to us that he is familiar with this story that it's been handed down the line because he's like, do you know what you could have done to us? Do you know what you could have done? You think this pagan guy cares about that kind of stuff? Unless he's heard, he's like, oh, this is, this is the God that appeared to my father and said, you're dead. And then you, you've done the same thing to me. So we know this Abimelech has heard this story before. And actually later he calls God by his name, Yahweh in the original text. So he's heard that name before. He's like, you almost had that God, Yahweh, on my back. Do you know what you could have done? So he's, he's familiar with these people. He's familiar with their God. So we can kind of see God, it's awesome. God has this reputation. And his reputation as being mighty and stepping in for his people is protecting Isaac in his dealings with Abimelech. And there are more dealings with this Abimelech. Let's read. We're going to finish it, uh, 12 through 32. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, 
Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well. And no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me? since you were hostile to me and sent me away. They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town has been called Beersheba. So we see that the blessings of God upon Isaac's life create some conflict for him. It starts out by saying he planted crops and yielded a hundredfold. Now, he wasn't planting like large fields of crops because that would like that would imply that he's planning on staying. He's making a homestead. Right. He's he's basically just making a garden. They're still nomadic. So he's making uh, crops. He's planting crops enough for their family while they're there. It's kind of like a victory garden. OK. But at this time, a hundredfold is crazy. Usually it's like a 25 percent. That's a common yield. It's a good return on what's planted. We have to remember this is like before the amazing days where we had pesticides, right, and herbicides and DDT, amazing wonders of DDT, right, and the infamous Monsanto. This is before Monsanto. If you don't know what it is, look it up. Um, so 50% would have been amazing. 25% is standard. 50% would have been amazing. 100% is unheard of. It's crazy. And we have to remember, this is in a time of famine. It's in a time of famine. And no one likes when bad things are happening to them and good things are happening to other people, right? You ever been in a bad time in your life and people are telling you good news and you're just like, I'm so happy for you. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy. I'm like that. But a lot of people aren't. But I am. But anyway, it creates jealousy among Abimelech's people, so much so that they begin stopping up the wells. They begin stopping up the wells that Abraham had dug. Water in this region is a scarce resource, and, and now it's in, in a time of famine. Like, the fact that they're filling in wells, this is an act of war. It's an act of war, because they're trying to cut off their access to water, and it really shows their hatred for them, because, like, I, I would, like, want to, you'd want to steal the water, right? Stopping up someone else's well, you're not planning on taking it, you're not planning on 
fighting over it in a time of famine, you just don't want them to have it. You just don't want them to have it. That's some hatred right there. And what does Isaac do? He continues to move on and dig new wells and gives them names. The fact that they don't try to take the well kind of shows that Abimelech probably had a weaker force at that time than Isaac. Or they, it's a well worth a battle. Hmm, well worth a battle. Yeah, I worked a long time on that. Um, to, to take water. But they, they I ask Isaac to leave, and he does. Even though he doesn't really have to. He could fight over it. He could win, and he could keep the well. And finally, he digs a well. There's, there's no conflict over. And finally, Abimelech appears again. And Isaac at this point is kind of like, come on, man. Ugh, what do you want this time? You can see it. He's just kind of like, leave me alone. Why y'all? Every time I finish a well, you guys show up to lay claim to it. or What, what do you want? But this time Abimelech wants peace with Isaac as his father had with Abraham. And so they strike a pact to live in peace with one another. And just as Abimelech leaves, they strike more water. They strike more water. Because Isaac stayed in the hardship and obeyed God by not going to Egypt, he's able to see God move in his life and continue to bless him wherever he goes. But it might not have always felt like a blessing. It probably didn't always feel like a blessing to Isaac. We can look at it and say how amazing this is because we're not living in it. it. It seems that like there's a famine. They have to stay somewhere where the famine is. They can't go away because God told them not to. Then every time they try to dig a well, someone comes and fills it up and they have to move on again from the crops they planted and plant more crops. It doesn't seem to Isaac like a blessing. But we see, we can read and see that God provided for all his needs every single time. And it's only because he stayed and obeyed. He stayed in the hardship. And because of that, he's able to see God move and God bless him. In fact, if you think about this story, if you think, oh, it's just a story of blessing. Through Isaac's eyes, this story started out and there was famine. And there was a famine in the land. And you will find, as you read your Bible, whenever there is a famine... In the Bible, when it begins, and there was famine in the land, whenever there was great hardship, whenever there was a time of emptiness, God always worked through it. Many huge moments in the Bible, many people who experience God's goodness and see God's greatness, the book begins with, and there was a famine in the land. That's good news for us, because if things are going bad for you, and it seems like there's a famine in the land, and that this chapter of your life seems to have begun with, and there was a famine in the land, then you can say, I wonder what this is going to read like in generations to come. Because I know when it begins, there was famine in the land, it ends with God moving on behalf of his people. And there was a famine in the land. So what is God going to do? Famine increases our faith. If our trust is in the Lord, if we put our trust in the Lord, and Isaac's trust was in the Lord. Not only was he fighting famine, though, but there were those who were actively working against him. Have you ever had things just going bad? It's like a famine, and then there's like little, little things happening here and there, and it seems like people are like working against you, and you seem like maybe people don't like you. Maybe at work, and you're just like, no one's ever not liked me before. I don't even know how to deal with this. Such a great personality. I don't get it. You know, like, and it's just like everything is not working out. Like all your wells, every, anytime you get a well dug, someone comes and fills it up. Pouring dirt upon dirt to try up, dry up the access to what gives you life. 
They were, they were putting dirt upon his access to the source of life. And when you think of it that way, it seems crazy to me, and maybe to you guys, that Isaac doesn't wage war over these wells. It's crazy that he doesn't wage war over these wells. This is, a, this is connected to life-giving source of water that is scarce in the area. I bet when Isaac said, we're just going to move on, I, I, you know that some of his people were like, why are we moving on? Why are we moving on? We're the bigger force. These are our wells. They've been our wells for generations. Let's just stand our ground. We're not attacking. We're not invading. We're just standing our ground. And Isaac says, no, we're going to move on. And then by the, by the time that happens again, you know there's some people, it doesn't tell us, but you know some people in the tribe are like, I need to be heard here. Why are we moving on? These are our wells. Not, those wells might have been ours from generations past. I dug this well with whatever stick I put together. And it was not easy. I dug this well. I feel some ownership over this well. I'm not, I want to give it up. I will use the same stick I dug this well with to beat those people back. I will do it, right? I mean, you know he had, there was some discord there with his people, but again and again, they move on. Why? Why was it so easy for Isaac to move on? It's because Isaac knows that the well is not the source of water. The well is not the source of the water. The well is not the source of life-giving water. It's merely a hole by which you can draw from the source of water. But it's not the source of the water. It's just connected to it. I think sometimes as Christians, we get too attached to the well. Now, irony is not lost on me. <laughs> that I'm preaching negatively about wells and our church is called the well. The well. Um, but this is, this is, we get attached. We get too attached to the well as Christians. This is a place I've experienced God. This is where I found God. It was through these particular circumstances where it was done in this certain way. And so that must be the only way to the water. By, by this method, we, we write books on if you want to be blessed, if you want to be blessed, you know what you do? You pray the prayer of Jabez because that worked for him. It's a process that we can look and see that process worked for him. It's going to work for me. I'm not saying anything about the prayer of Jabez. I'm just saying we kind of like to make things into a process. If you want to be forgiven, and this isn't biblical, you go, you go say 10 Hail Marys. There's a process. You do this and you get it, right? We want to be, we, we as humans, we want to form processes, we want to form systems, and we want to put, we don't want to, but what we do is we put restrictions on God. We put him in a box. We try to make him predictable. We want him to abide by the same methods he used before. I, I do this, I get that. We want to make him into a system. You do this, you get that. One plus one is two. If you want to be delivered, then you need to do this. You follow these steps. And, and, and we start to give power to these methods. We give power to the method. 
There's nothing wrong with seeking wisdom on how to do something that's been done before when we're seeking the wisdom from the Bible, but we start to give power to the method, to the system, to the process that has worked for someone else. And the process and the system is completely unnecessary. God doesn't necessarily have to move in that way. And sometimes if we're counting on this to produce this, and it doesn't happen. We see it as a failure in God, but it's a failure in our trust in that process that we created when we give power to the system. Just like Moses, he started God, Moses missed out on the promised land because God told him to do something and he did it differently. Started to give power to the staff. The people saw the staff and thought, the staff, the staff, right? And he, he couldn't lose it. He couldn't set it aside because you don't want to deprive an old man of his walking stick, right? But it wasn't about the staff. In the Old Testament, if you remember this, we haven't been there yet, it's in the future. But the people cried out to God. They wanted a king. We want a king. Everyone around us has kings. They, they have a government. We want to be like the people around us. We want a, we want a government. We want a system. Can we, have a, can we just have a system? And God even tells them, well, you're going to have taxes. And you're going to have rules. And they're like, they must have been pretty desperate. They were like, it sounds good. I want that. I want it desperately, right? And so God's like, okay, okay. But the government, so they're like, all right, we're going to set up this government. And there'll be a king, but there's also going to be a prophet. And the king's going to listen to the prophets. And so they're going to have the voice of the Lord to know what to do. And so we'll have this system, but we'll also have God, right? And God, God, he'll be leading the system, of course, God. You'll lead the system. You're at the top. You're over the king, right? And, but years later, when there's a new king, King David, King David has this amazing, stunning idea you would not believe. Crazy idea. Unheard of. To bring the ark of God, where the presence of God is, back to Jerusalem, where the king is. Let's bring the presence of God close to me, close to the leader. And you know what the people say in 1 Chronicles 13, 6? They say, let us bring the ark of God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. Let's bring the presence of God back, because now that we think of it, we didn't even seek it in the, during when we had that government, when we had that process. And so what am I preaching? Revolution. No, I'm just kidding. No. The ark of God, the presence of God, wasn't even near to the king. It wasn't near to the leaders at all. It, he kept it far away. He kept it far away. And we see, we see that first king Saul more and more, not, not, he's not willing to wait on what God says. He's not willing to do what God says. And so he wants the presence of the Lord as far away as possible so he can do what he wants to do so much so that these people are like oh yeah let's do that let's bring god back into it into our system the system works so well we didn't even realize god wasn't in it let's bring god back into our system they weren't even following where god led they were trusting their system they began to trust in the well that they had built and if we don't take heed, 
We may just pitch our tents near a well that was once connected to the source of life but has been dry for years and years and years. And we're so connected to the well, we won't leave the well. We won't leave that way behind that we go thirsty until we don't even know it. Maybe we become so accustomed to the well. I'm, I've become so accustomed. This well is still producing water. It's producing little bits of water. And we become so accustomed to small cups of water. And we're like, this is life. This is life. This is all you get. This is what you get of God. It's amazing. I've got some, I got some water. And God is like, I want to drench you in my presence. I want to drench you in my presence. I want, to, I want you to soak up all that I have for you. There's so much water beneath the surface. If you would just move away from this well that you built for yourself, there's no more water in it. And it means I am not in it. Do you want the well? Do you want what you've built? Or do you want me? Because the source of water, I mean, it's just underneath the surface and it's everywhere and it can be tapped into. And it, you can, I wonder, like, after someone's been in a dried up well and they've gotten used to these little bits of water and then they move on and, and drill a new well and it's like, there's so much water here. We can wash our clothes with it. We can wash the animals with it. We can, we can do whatever we want. Look at all this water. But, but fear keeps us at that well that's been dry. For years and years, if you only experience God in one place, there's a problem. If you only experience God, if you're like singing hymns, or you only experience God with this song, if there, if there, then if there's, if there's a condition to how you experience God, if it only works under certain conditions, then you're a servant to the conditions and not a servant of the living God. If everything has to fall into place and be the right way, I couldn't get into that. God's presence wasn't there because I just couldn't get into that. New books are published by the month in the Christian realm. And it's like, you want peace? This is what you do. The 10 steps to peace. You know, and I'm like, I'm trying to find a book if there's three steps to peace because that's less work, right? I want less steps to peace, right? And it's like, do this, do that. You want to grow your church? This is what you do. These are the steps. Follow these steps. And I'm sure it worked for the writer. They're trying to pass on their knowledge. And that's okay to, to read that and say, hey, let, let's see if there's some wisdom to be attained there. But don't limit God to man's methods. Do not limit God to man's methods. It's like trying to tame a lion. One thing I just love, uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, there's a beaver there, amazing character, the beaver, and he's, he's talking about Aslan, and they're like, and they're like, oh, I'm, and he said, oh, he's good, and, and he says something, and the kids are all like, oh, uh, he's safe, and he's like, safe? Who said anything about safe? I didn't say he was safe. He's not safe, but he's good, but he's good. Sometimes we want God to be safe. We, we want him to be predictable. We want to do these things and get this out of it. And when we limit God to our methods, when we confuse the well with the source of water, we miss out on who God is. We miss out on what he can do. When we are satisfied 
with what we've built. It becomes an idol, and it can make us miss God entirely. When God is doing something new, we can miss it. Don't get caught up in, with Christian books and their methods. Read them. I'm not saying they're bad. But don't get caught up like this is the method. If it's biblical, and, and God still works differently. God still works differently. He doesn't, doesn't contradict the Bible at all. But we have to be aware of who he is. We need to get caught up in the word of the Lord. We want to be people who seek God and nothing else. We just, we just want God. Sometimes we have to look at the well and say, man, this is a pretty well. This is an amazing, this, this well, we built it up so well. It's so good. But it's not the same. Have you noticed? Have you noticed it's not the same? Have you noticed? Maybe God's trying to do something new. Maybe we should, maybe we should see what God wants. And sometimes when our wells get filled in, we don't have the courage to move on because we think that the power came from that source, from that well. When it came from the living God, we need to be a people who are willing to move when God says move. Willing to change when God says change, knowing that God goes with us. Isaac knew it doesn't matter what we had. It doesn't matter the work we've done. It doesn't matter the safety that this water provides us. We don't need it. Can you imagine what that must have been like? We don't need it. We don't need water. We need water. No, no, no. We need water. But the water will be provided wherever we go because God is with us. And God is the source of the water, not this thing that we have built. The well could have become, those wells could have become idols. This is, this is our land. This is where we stay. It's, it's, it's not just a well they built. You know how hard it is sometimes when, when, when your parent dies and it's something they've done, the emotion that is attached to it? Like I, the, the first well would have been the hardest to give up. This is Abraham's well. This is my father's well. His hands dug this. Sometimes I know my grandmother died um, we, had, we had to have this day, like years and years later, we were cleaning out my mom's garage, and, and it would be like, Mom, we need to throw this away. And it'd be like, but it's my mom's. And I'm like, I know it's your mom's. I know it's your mom's. I know you love it. But it's just trash now. And she wouldn't want you to keep it. But it's hard. It's hard to get rid of those things because they have, like, the littlest things. I remember when my uncle died, my other uncle threw away all this stuff, and we were like, you threw away that little figurine? I loved that figurine. I played with that figurine. You know, it had this emotional value to us because of whose it was. And that first well, Abraham, his father, had dug that well. It, he, he, he was trying to follow in his father's footsteps. He's trying to be the man that his father was. He's trying to lead like his father, what father did. And it'd be so hard to stand there at his father's well in the land that God had given his father, the first person to the God had said, you will make nations, you'll be my people. It would be hard to give up that first well. But Isaac knew the power is not, didn't rest with my dad. It didn't rest in this well, it didn't rest here in this location. God goes with us. God goes with us. 
and I love it. I love that place. It has some sentimental value to me. I love my dad. I love what he did. I love how he led, but he led by following God. And so I'm not going to follow in my father's footsteps. I'm going to follow in God's footsteps. And God says, move. So pack it up. We're moving. And because of it, wherever they dug, they hit water. And that is what kind of church I want to be. That's the, that's the people of God. That's the type of person, a follower of God I want to be, that where we move, we trust, wherever we go, we're going to tap in to the source of life. And it's not what we build. It's not trapped by what we build, built. It is provided by God. He is the source of life-giving water. And when we drink of that water, amen, when we drink of that water, it says we will never again go thirsty. He, when, he, when he talks to the woman in well, in John 4, 14, he answers her. He says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew God and you knew who I was, I would give you living water. And she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. You, have, you don't have the tools to do this. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? She, she's saying, Jacob, Isaac's son, he gave us this well and he drank from it himself. And now you're saying that you don't need this well? His sons drank from this well. The livestock drank from this well. And Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks from this well that your forefathers built will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up in eternal life. The water wells up in us like a spring. We are the church of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And wherever we go, God goes. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you and I praise you. I thank you for your blessings upon your people. I thank you that you watch over us, that you keep us, Lord. And not just you don't just keep us and give us the bare minimum and just watch over us and protect us from evil, Lord, but you, you spur us on in, into, in, in faith and in walking with you, Lord. And I just pray that we could have the faith to know and understand, Lord, that you are the source of water, that we will never thirst again because we are walking by the stream we walk with the spring of life welling up in us, Lord. And I just pray that we would desire and we would thirst for that water and that water alone. And we wouldn't trust in our methods and trust in our ways and trust what works, Lord, but trust you because you work miracles and you work wonders. And that's what I want to see. I want to see you work. I want to see the work of your hands, not the work of my hands. Not the work of my hands, Lord. And so as your people, we, we give you our hands and our feet. And may our works not be works unto us. May they not be the works of our hands, Lord. But may they be the works of your hands. Give us the courage to get up and move when you say move, Lord. Help us to follow you and you alone. May we never be caught. May we never be caught saying, oh yeah, let's bring the presence of God back. Lord, but may this be a tent of meeting where your presence is thick and your blessings flow and may we be a people who follow you wherever you lead.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.